0: So, are you guys curious to hear Stephen King's top 10 movie adaptations as of 2009? Is is Children of the Corn on the list? It is not, but I'll I'll read you what he says, because he does like an intro to each of the movies that he's talked about in this book. Okay. I I would love it. I'm reading from the uh, Stephen King Goes to the Movie Anthology uh, that was published in 2009. So, his top 10 adaptations are, uh, as of 2009, Apt Pupil. These are alphabetical. Mm, I forgot that was his. Apt Pupil. Cujo. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Dolores Claiborne. Mm -hmm. 1408. Wait, which
1: Dolores Claiborne? The, one, the miniseries one? The, the
0: Kathy Bates one. I don't think there is another one.
1: Oh, okay. Never mind. That I know of. Yeah, I think I'm thinking of something else. Uh,
0: 1408. Okay. The Green Mile. That makes sense. Misery. That also makes sense. The Mist. Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah, he loves the ending of The Mist. He thinks it's better than the one he wrote, mm. which I think is wild.
0: <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Stand By Me. Storm of the Century. Really? He actually published this book, The Forward is to... Uh, uh, Frank Darabont.
1: I was going to say, I had a feeling Darabont and Reiner were going to show up on that. Uh, yeah. Once he likes. The I mean, list. I think
2: that list uh, will help remind dear listeners what a fecund mind is Stephen King. He, they, he produce, I'm sorry, fecund, fecund. He produces so much. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just just prodigious.
1: Forty dollar word bringing to the table.
2: Oh well, sorry about that. But uh, I wasn't trying to be fancy pants. I was just saying he makes <gasps> a lot
1: of story. Yeah. Yeah. And lots and lots. I mean, there's a Simpsons be- joke about this, right?
0: I He's think
1: like so. King A through L or, yeah, yep. and the, the, the joke. And, and what variety of kinds of stories he tells and tells well. Totally, totally.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, there's actually a really pretty sentence in there, as so I like. Um, all right. So this is his kind of uh, reflection on Children of the Corn in the movie. Okay. The movie version is a kind of avatar of 70s horror movies. Even the spilled blood looks ready to snort coke and disco at the drop of a Bee Gees tune. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> and it has a line in it, not in the story. You will notice that my kids still giggle over Outlander. We have your woman, but ah, come on, it's not so bad to me. It had a Wickermanish feel, the first Wickerman, the good one, and Linda Hamilton, who would go on to Terminator glory, certainly gives it her all. Sure. Yet sometimes giving one's all is not enough. Sometimes the story is better simply because one's imagination is never on a budget. I think the written version is spookier because the corn is spookier. Mm. On film, it just looks like corn. On film, corn is never going to give Dracula a run for his money. One other note. Children of the Corn has generated more awful sequels than any other story in my oeuvre. There's Children of the Corn 2, 3, and 4 at least. Possibly more. I eventually lost count. There are more. If my internet connection weren't down as I write this, I'd check and see if there wasn't even a Children of the Corn in space. I almost think there was. The only one I was really rooting for was Children of the Corn Meet Leprechaun. I wanted to hear that little <laughs> leprechaun guy shouting, give me back my corn, in his cute little Irish accent.
2: That's fun. Outlander. Give me back my corn, Outlander. Outlander. He, him, I had your bucket of gold. <laughs> Outlander. I'll raise you a bucket of gold for a pot of corn.
0: I want to see if I can find the sentence, because I really thought it was cool. Let me see. Do, doo doo do, doo
2: As the fluttering of pages flickers, oh, yeah. the narrator comes in. I, should have mar- I meant to highlight it or
0: mark it. Search
2: desperately for the page. And as he looked, he came to realize he's got so Here many it is. things. He's, oh, but he found it.
0: <laughs> it says, they might have been dancing there on the noonstruck road with the boys' corpse at their feet. I like that noonstruck. Mm-hmm. I like it's that some version.
2: Good. Yeah, that's a good word.
0: The imagery. Because mm-hmm. the moon moonstuck evening. Mm-hmm. Moon. Yeah. Yeah. It has a different picture when you think of that, but noonstruck struck I yeah. like that that twist on it
1: the uh the the terrifying uh reality of broad daylight,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: I love that. That's good.
2: Yep. Very cool. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. Cast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film today's course. And, of course, as you may have realized, today's film, uh, close to Hemingford, perhaps Hemingford home, is uh, The Children of the Corn. Uh, so we'll be talking about it. I am still Dustin.
0: I'm still Arthur.
1: I am still Dalton. And Dustin has not alluded to this yet, but th- this is the the start of a whole cult thing we're doing, right? Well,
0: yes. We're starting a new marathon for May. It is called Welcome. To the family, where we're gonna be looking at cult films. Now not, not films under the radar not seen by very many people, but movies about cults. Yes. It'll be a good time
1: mm-hmm. I love me some
2: cultishness so, Probably spooky uh, too Good times you uh, for all In case you're tuning in for the first time, dear listener We want to warn you though This is an analysis show, not a review show And that does mean we are going to spoil the film We'll review it too But we're going to spoil the film And we'll do that eventually And we'll give you a bit of a reprieve If you listen and get interested And don't want to be spoiled upon it uh, You can come back uh, towards the end This is what it looks like Thumbs up, thumbs down reviews Which are, again, very, very spoiler easy Then we get into a little mental... Exercise we call expanding the syllabus, which might involve the gentlest of spoilers and perhaps some big spoilers of films of uh, the orbiting surrounding uh, s- stellar constellations of these particular movies and based on what that syllabus looks wow, like. Wow,
1: bars. You, th- you thought he was going to get stuck there, but he didn't.
2: Yeah, well, you know. He pulls it out once in a while. I mean,
1: he knows what he's doing.
2: And then finally we get down to business, and that business is analysis, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So therefore there lies thy warning, dear friends. So without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the synopsis. Can we hear that synopsis, please?
0: Can we hear that cinema, please? <laughs> can we hear that cinema, please? <laughs> On a cross-country trip to Seattle... Vicky and Bert find themselves in the cornfields of Nebraska. After an incident on the road, they make their way to Gatlin for help, but the streets are empty, and the only thing lurking in the corn is danger.
1: And Neil Bog is Goblin spelled backwards. Every time you they don't sh- piss on hospitality, you cannot piss on hospitality. I won't allow it, Dalton. I know you won't. Uh, Not in my house. Yeah, you throw me over my shoulder and uh, over your shoulder and put me to bed without dinner many times. Uh, I know this. Every time I saw the sign Gatlin, my brain filled in Gatlinburg, which was just funny. I was just thinking about the third verse of A Boy Named Sue. Mm -hmm. It's just about the boy named Sue going to Gatlinburg to get drunk and then he fights his dad. That's yeah. what I thought about the whole movie, which, you know, makes sense because it is about fighting your parents a little bit. Oh, but.
2: A little bit. That and, you know, uh, good times, good times. All right. Well, there you go. That is the movie. Let's do our, our best to review this thing. Dalton, do you like Children of the Corn and why or more likely, why not?
1: It turns out there's a lot of uh, a lot of hours of this film being talked about uh, over in the movie podcast circuit. I was just, you know, I, I, I like to every once in a while when we're talking about a movie, see what discourse there is about one. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one's been covered. Uh, I listened to a little bit of uh, Psycho Analysis, which is a horror therapy podcast. That's yeah, it's a fun title, right? Uh, but they talked about this, and one of the hosts, meant, it's funny you mentioned Arthur that, uh, or not mentioned, it's funny you read that selection in that, that selection, you read about the children of the corn adaptation. It's funny that King landed on the cocaine-ness, uh, because one of the hosts kind of points out like, man, older King, like cocaine era King is just, he's going to kill everybody. Uh, which mm-hmm. it's, it is funny that he, uh, he sees that through line from his horror, you know, his kind of his, uh, more Bachman side of his brain, mm-hmm. uh, connecting through to this adaptation. Cause I, I definitely noticed it. I mean, it's 1984 release, but it feels like it's 1979 mm-hmm. in a pretty big way. Um, for better and worse. I think, I think there are times when the sort of, uh, low budget trappings of this film really work in its favor, uh, kind of gives it that, uh, you know, the camp is nice, but it's not even the camp that helps it out. It it is sort of the, the smallness of it lends it an an air of reality at times. And while I think King is right to say, you know, your, your imagination has no budget. That thing that definitely, that helps for sure. Um, But there are times where I found the the low budgetness of this very, very charming. Uh, What I did not find charming was basically any word that anybody said, unfortunately. (laughs) Both in terms of uh, acting and scripting. Obviously, Linda Hamilton does her, as King points out, does her best to uh, shoulder this movie across the finish line, and you know it kind of works out okay. That Isaiah kid's fun. I mean, Isaiah and Malachi are what you you came for. Yeah. Is it? it, That's right. I am just saying your child's name. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it is Isaac. Uh
0: there probably is a Jeremiah. There's and and Isaiah. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh yeah, they've got lamentations.
1: <laughs> that poor kid. Uh yeah, Isaac and, and Malachi are fun, right? I mean I I like how spooky they are. Uh and I you know, that'll get you through ninety minutes, right? Uh, when he first showed up in the, uh, the opening massacre scene, uh, I did call him an Arya Stark looking ass and I stand by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it's weird that the central mystery of the novel or the short story, um, I, I haven't read the short story, but I'm aware that the, the lead characters are kind of given the, the, uh, the
0: agency,
1: not agency POV. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, w- yeah. We don't learn any of, uh, what's gone on in, in Gatlin. Uh, until later in that short story i guess uh which of course in the film you know we know within five minutes i don't know it's it's a weird choice i don't know if the movie's better or worse for it i just know that it, it struck me as odd for the entire runtime uh it is unnerving though it is probably the single scariest moment of the film is is that opening which is very real uh and very jarring uh, and very intensely shot uh you know puts you there uh you know mentally speaking it gets scarred. uh Man, it just kind of falls apart after that. I don't know, man. It's it's kind of a boring movie. I'm mm-hmm. glad it's only 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, everything that was done here was done better elsewhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. Both before and after, uh, definitely gave me a, some Midsummer vibes for sure. At times, uh, the the folk art, especially. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm excited to talk about this movie, right? Like, I think there's interesting things here, uh, both, both both with you know religion and and intergenerational conflict. Um, all of that stuff I think is going to be fun and interesting to talk about. It's just, you know, too bad the movie's not that fun or that interesting. The score's pretty groovy. I think the music's fun. Um, it, it definitely falls into, uh, the ghost camp. Uh, last week we talked about ghosts being one of those movies where, uh, when the cops show up 10 minutes after the movie ends, it's going to be a real awkward conversation. This definitely has that problem. because <laughs> yeah. uh, cause don't they still have the, the dead kid in their trunk from like Probably. the very beginning of the movie?
0: <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah
1: it's it's weird, we'll talk more about uh uh Dr. Burt running over a child, you know we are trying to keep it spoiler light. But that happens early in the film uh yeah, I don't know i i I'm very curious to hear what you guys thought about it because uh yeah, it didn't really do a whole lot for me. I think there's some fun sneaking and running bits towards mm. the the third you know into the second act start of the third, but overall, it's kind of a snooze fest, which is one of the worst things a horror movie can be. Fair enough, fair enough. Thank you very much for that,
2: Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you regarding The Children of the Corn?
0: Yeah, uh, that's bad. Um, It really is. I I, I do think that... I think there are some good ideas. I do think there are some interesting concepts on the table. Uh, The premise itself, I think, is, is a solid idea. I think the short story has potential for a good movie. I think that... Um, there's visually a couple of really, I can't remember. There are a couple of interesting shots that I thought maybe some of the running through the corn sequences, things like that. And, yeah. And some of the production designs pretty cool. Like you know, when you see some of the cars like, uh, filled with like corn husks and things like that, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think some of that stuff kind of sets the tone, but I think you're right. I, I think there's just not enough there to kind of make it scary. Um, outside of that opening sequence, which I think is really well done other than the narration. I, I think, I think to your point, setting this from the, the kids point of view in the town, kind of hurts because the the point of view the the narration is really uninteresting and then i think that's just the i think child actors have come a long way since 1984 and, and i think that's part of that is the the, the child actors aren't great outside oh, yeah. of the, probably isaac or
1: who are adults isaac is like 23 24 when they make this and Malachi's like 17 or 18
0: whoa yeah really
1: and, yeah i looked it up isaac's he's got a the Disorder. Oh, some okay, kind okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'm not sure.
0: Exactly. Well, that would explain why he's he more yeah more true than yeah. Uh,
1: but again, even Malachi, I think he's like 19 for reals yeah. when they shoot it. Yeah. That
0: checks out. Um. So I I think that kind of hinders it. And I think the other idea is like, and I wasn't able to put my finger on it quite. But I think reading the short story, it did. I I feel like without any sort of kind of relational conflict of any nature between. Vicky and Bert like to really drive some of those moments mm. stronger, I think hinders the film. And then once they get to, you know, Gatlin, uh, it's really probably 40 minutes of them just running around an empty town with nothing happening, uh-huh. you know? And, and I think that really hinders it as well. I, I think there's just so much convention at play in the, in the script that it, it really slows it down from doing anything interesting or, or, or really, challenging with with the premise the text um,
1: itself is uh the short story has got them fighting a ton right yeah and,
0: they're on the verge of splitting up or divorcing gotcha. in the short story uh, and here i you know there's a, like she has a moment in the hotel at the very beginning where he says something and walks away and she just kind of sighs and you know but there's not really yeah. anything beyond that i, I feel like yeah, they've got a pretty Hamilton's decent relationship mad she couldn't get
1: laid kind yeah of yeah, all, yeah, all yeah, all yeah. that's what it comes out. down to yeah yeah oh. yeah I get on the road yeah
0: yeah uh she's annoyed um, so I, you know, outside of that, they they seem to have a pretty good relationship. Everything's going well for them, uh, and I don't think. You know, and I'm gonna get into this more of my syllabus, kind of my my preoccupation there. So, all in all, though, I, I think it's bad. I, I think that uh, it, you know, could have been better. I, and I didn't really so much mind the the third act stuff, some of the special effects stuff they do. I think holds up okay for what it is. Yeah. Um. There's a kind of a charm to that, but I like that stuff. All in all, yeah, it's it's just too too much of a mess for me.
1: Now you had seen this before, right?
0: Yeah, I think I can never remember if I've seen this in Village of the Dam, but I had seen this before and I remembered about halfway through, like ah yeah, that's the that's the one. Gotcha. So,
1: Dustin, what about I, again? This was a I didn't mention it earlier. This is first time watch. First for me. time watch
2: for me. I've been you know not avoiding it, but I just hadn't gotten to it. Sure. You know, um, I do love King and I do love horror, so you know it's it's stuff that I dig. But I, I, the movie is kind of a mess, and uh, we've already talked about the sort of cinematic uh, problems of it insofar as uh, dialogue and screenwriting are. I mean, it's lousy. You know, do what I say because I said so kind of stuff. Uh, you, you mean know.
0: Outlander We Have Your Woman isn't winning an out, Oscar? Out, no, no it's not. Outlander. Outlander's great. That's Interloper's good, great. They're yeah. great
1: things to yell.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. The
2: Interloper, the Outlander. And so there there are there are those sort of problems with it. And uh, as you've mentioned, there are some significant pacing issues mm-hmm. with moving the story. along. I mean, a short story is sort of ideal for adaptation into a 90-minute film, yeah. uh, generally speaking. But in this case, for whatever reason, they have, they've got real lazy there uh, as uh, they find their way finally into Gatlin. Um, now, I think another issue with it is the movie seems to me to be two different movies. Um, and it may be, uh, because of my vague distraction, but I don't get any indication that there actually is something in the corn until we see the tremors thing rolling around there towards the end, right?
1: It, it truly is the most Stephen King thing for, for there to turn out to be some sort of, uh, psychic malevolence, uh, that's behind all of this, right? Cause you're, you're absolutely right. There is a version of this movie that is... Just about uh, Isaac, the tiny psycho. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: yeah, yeah which
2: yeah. I guess is is, is, is I'm doing I'm doing a spoiler thing kind of early when I do this. I, but this movie's
0: like almost thirty years old, forty years old. I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I don't think almost forty a shit. years old. I should say.
2: Oh, boy! But there is the he who walks in the rose. Da, it, there is a thing, you know. And uh, I mean, it, once it appeared and arrived, I got all kinds of sort of dairy it. Creature mm-hmm. kind of uh, eldritch god mm-hmm. thing uh, kind of senses, and that's fine and as fun and it's interesting. But up until that point, it is just a story of a religious mania that has descended upon this group of young people, and has caused them to kill their parents and yeah. uh, you know set up this sort of weird Lord of the Flies society, um, and that's really interesting. As an idea, but what we get from it is not very nuanced. I mean, it seems to be, in some ways, a critique of uh, of versions of Christianity, but it it is it is so vague and bizarre. Um, The score is good, but the score is so Catholic. Uh, and, and so it, it seems to be that if, if you're going to interrogate this sort of religious life, and I think that interrogation is good and useful. Yeah,
1: it seems pointed at that, that 80s, silent majority type, you know, the birth of the, the religious right type stuff. But it's, but I don't, but it's, it's got its it,
2: wires crossed. Yeah, it's just, it's, and it's not nuanced anyway, and no. it, 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 that, that, tra- it is it, it, frustrating um, as a watch there uh, for me. Uh, so, and then for it to finally be, there is a thing, and this is kids don't know how to process this thing existing and they take what tools they've got and they sort of use it to make something that's very cool. But I guess I need more before that. And I assume that in the story, um, stuff spooky pretty quick, uh, as far as whatever's going on with the kiddos, you know, maybe the adults don't realize why or what's happening there, but that, that, that's troublesome to me. Uh, again, and some of those sort of, you know, the, the child actor performances are not great Are uh, are, uh, Oh, gas station man. There's a word for this. Oh, the harbinger. The harbinger. Our yeah. harbinger is, man. A classic harbinger. Well, I mean, a cliche harbinger. Yeah, man. Yeah, the gas station, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. worse than classic. In every way. Yeah. Classic's good. Cliche is bad. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, I mean, this He's is. He's great, though. And that's all I'm saying. He's great. It's fun, but also, yeah, gosh, we've I'm, just, been there. I'm worn out. And so I, I did find the movie in a lot of ways to be kind of exhausting. Um, and,. That there is better there are better movies poking around the edges of it really frustrated me more i, I would Darn rather it. it would just be a bad troll to kind of movie yeah. you know, and uh, just be this janky sort of you know when another thing happens and it 's just what what uh, what I, I would I would prefer that than this sort of uh, crackling sparkling delights of an edge of. A real kind of religious interrogation film, a real interesting sort of what do kids do when they don 't know how to handle or understand something uh, you know wanting to kill your parents kind of stuff that would been that would have been much more interesting, and that crackling um, energy at the edges just frustrated the sort of mealy mouth middle that I found. And so I, I did find it to be a pretty frustrating watch because of that. So um I have a pretty low view as well as it seems do the rest of my co hosts. That's fair. Yeah. Um so With that said, I guess we move on into our next little section of the show, which is an exercise we call Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, can you tell the dear listener what Expanding the Syllabus is all about?
0: One of these days I'm going to write down definitions, so I don't have to think about it. Uh, But it is a thought experiment. I like it better this way. Yeah, I bet you like to torture us. That's fine. Uh, This is a thought experiment where we are assembling the bones of a course syllabus, uh, maybe film or film parallel, uh, and... uh, or film adjacent, I should say. And uh, we uh, picked the texts and the movies and the essays or me- media that uh, students would view alongside the primary text, which is the movie of the week, and uh, bring a little bit of analysis to it and how we would build a course.
2: Very cool. That is exactly what that
0: is. So what does your syllabus look like there, Arthur? I, I was really strict, especially, okay, so spo- again, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old uh, film, but the uh, kind of final shot of this are uh, it's not 40 Bert and old. Vicky. It's, what thirty six? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's all right. Two, two four years we're off. Yeah, two good. years we're off.
2: Th- four years.
0: Because it's twenty one. It's three s- years.
2: It's thirty six. Thirty seven. Well, I guess thirty seven. We're going to turn thirty seven
0: this year. It's making me feel older. Yeah, so yeah I knew yeah, exactly I see, what was I see, happening. I see what I you're doing there. Yeah, I've I've the been
1: s- watching the sparks
0: fly. Spoiler for alert year. for this thirty seven year old movie. Your mom, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm dead. Thanks. I'll celebrate Mother's Day in quiet next week. Oh, Oh. <laughs> Oh gosh, it got dark. Um. Anyway, uh, the final shot of this film is of Bert and Vicky and the two children uh, that aren't possessed or crazy uh, within the community or who haven't given into the religious fervor. I should say, not necessarily crazy. Um. And it kind of alluded to that there may be some sort of adoption or faux adoption taking place and they've become a, a full family unit by the end of this movie. A couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. A the day, 80s, a week.
2: An 80s, the great time when you could just find a random kid and say, you know, you can just stay here and we'll <laughs> You'll take be you on for now. a
1: couple of weeks and we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a dog. Yeah. Don't <laughs> so pick I was, up
0: strays guys. Don't pick up strays. You don't want to do it. I, I was really struck though, by the idea of horror and the family unit and how those kind of uh, work together. And that kind of metaphor, that's pretty prevalent through a lot of horror. I think a lot of supernatural horror specifically um, where those family tensions give way to the either malevolent energy within the, the narrative or um, at least kind of, have that heavy symbolic connection to what's going on and you know, kind of a metaphor for the the relationship. Uh and I think I would start with a short story. Uh it's forty pages and, and like I, I mentioned earlier, uh the they'll first they'll never read it. Yeah, they probably won't. Uh but the first probably fifteen to twenty pages of this feels like uh just Bert and Vicky arguing. Um great. And I think her name I don't even remember if her name was Vicky in the short story. For some reason that doesn't sound right, but I could be wrong. Bert and Bertha. Wouldn't that be No, it is Vicky. Okay. Um, but anyway, you know, they're, they're at odds. They're actually c- traveling cross country to save their marriage under the guise of going to see her brother, I believe. And, and I like the idea of this and the, there's kind of a subversion. I'm going to spoil the short story here in a second. Uh, and you know, the, the idea in, in a lot of these scenarios is once the the couple or the family are put through these trials, they come out the other side, happy and a family unit, like we see in the movie. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of in that, I feel like, nihilist period of of King's writing where nobody comes out alive, um, which I think is the more interesting ending that Bert and Vicky are both killed and taken. Uh, And I feel like, obviously, kind of the headspace of where King was at at the time probably, the kind of darkness he was in as a writer and a a person with his addictions and his struggles. But I I think for a horror story, that's the much more bleak, nihilistic ending um, that kind of shows, in conjunction with the movie, the two kind of Ways you can go with this sort of metaphor and symbolism in in horror. Mm. Uh, so I think I would start with a short story, kind of parse that out, because I think it is an interesting dichotomy with what is shown in the movie. From there, I'd go with the Babadook and the struggles of the, the single mother and the kind of problem child and that relationship and those tensions and how that manifests with the titular Babadook. Uh, from there, I want to work in The Conjuring Two and Annabelle comes home. Oh. Uh, the Conjuring mm. Two. Spends a lot of time as Ed and Lorraine go to Britain and England to work with a family there who are dealing some hauntings, and there's a lot of kind of struggle there. But also the the kind of fr- fruition comes, and Annabelle comes home is the tension and struggle that this has all had that their life has had on their own family unit with their daughter. Mm. And I, I like where Annabelle comes home, and brings that, and I think that's an interesting you know piece of this. You know, Ed and Lorraine are kind of leading this life, fighting ghosts or whatever, and we don't see the effects of that on their family unit until Annabelle comes home where we kind of see that attack on the home. And I think that's a fun way to, to go with that. You know, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga had
1: no clue that uh, when they signed him for the Conjuring, that was going to end up being like what, four or five movie uh, uh, yeah. commitment. I mean, keep keeping them well into the middle it, age. It's somehow
0: become the the uh, strongest Warner brothers extended universe. Yeah. Weird. And, and I think there's something really fascinating about that as a, a study as well. Yeah, Pictures is strange. Yeah. Uh, uh, From there, I want to jump into Mike Flanagan. I want to talk about The Haunting of Hill House, uh, the series he did for Netflix, which is all about family trauma Mm. uh, and how that's manifested in in the supernatural. I also want to talk about Jurassic Park, which echoes what we see in uh, the movie we're talking about, Children of the Corn, uh, with that kind of construction of the family unit. There we have the kind of resilient father with Alan Grant and the kind of family unit he makes with Tim and Lex and Sadler, Ellie. Uh, I, I think that's just kind of a more modernized parallel of what they're trying to attempt in Children of the Corn. I think it works much better because of the... Char- you know, we, we're never really led to believe that either Bert or Vicky are anti-kids in the, or anti-parent. Like, There's nothing about that in their character. And, and I think that's also a flaw within the, the script without having that kind of conflict. Why should we care if they adopt there n- these two children? No, there's
1: no character conflict in the entire
0: movie, which yeah. is one of the big problems. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and to kind of discuss how popular this trope is, I, I, I want to actually move it into a, the, the Christian realm and do House, co-written by Ted Decker and Frank Peretti, oh. uh, which takes the same trope, but kind of applies it in a spiritual sense, mm-hmm. uh, which I think just kind of shows the popularity of this idea. Uh, and then I would end this with a little gothic chord. We'd talk Crimson Peak and mm-hmm. Del Toro and that weird messed up family dynamic within that film uh, and and wrap it up there I think but I, I was really just struck by the idea of the horror and the family unit and I think this would just be a section within a horror probably studies class or something like that, but that's where I would go with it.
2: Very cool, very cool. I like that a lot, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Well, hey Dalton, what would you mm. do if you were going to make a syllabus built around Children of the Corn? Why would you do such a thing, and how would you get it done?
1: All right, well, I, you know, I could have talked about cults, but we're going to be doing a whole cult thing. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk about religious trauma, but I think I'm going to have time to do that uh, during this mini series. So I, I thought a little bit harder. I didn't want to waste that one with Children <laughs> of the Corn. Uh, so I, I, he, I'm going to read you a quote that you're probably familiar with but we'll we'll tease out here in a second <clears throat> the children now love lug, love luxury they have bad manners contempt for authority they show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise children are now tyrants not the servants of their households they no longer rise when elders enter the room they contradict their parents chatter before company gobble up dainties at the table cross their legs, and tyrannize tir- 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 their teachers. What a word, tyrannize. Um, 1783, uh, is, George Washington. Well, and here's who it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Plato quoting Socrates. Uh, you've probably heard this one before. Somebody's probably fooled you with this. Uh, it's not a real quote. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. peddled around for a long time, uh, but it does come from uh, Kenneth John Freeman uh, in his 1907 Cambridge dissertation. Uh, some people have done the homework on, okay, how did this big... Fake Socrates quote, enter our popular lexicon. Mm-hmm. How has it become kind of the, this ingrained example of people have always been bitching about the youth? Um, and so I will read a little bit about what uh, Ken Freeman had to say, because uh, he was studying. Uh, do I have the name of the dissertation? Ooh, I didn't pull it. Sorry, Kenneth. Uh, you've been dead for a while, though, so I don't think you're going to mind. Um, But anyways, a survey of um, ancient Greece and attitudes in ancient Greece. But uh, here's what he actually had to say. Um, The counts of the... And this is, again, him just kind of summarizing what, uh, after reading a lot of texts from the era, what uh, the complaints about the youth were. Uh, The counts uh, of the indictment are luxury, bad manners, contempt for authority, disrespect to elders, and a love for chatter in place of exercise. Children began to be the tyrants, not the slaves of their households. They no longer rose, yada, 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 repeating the things we already said before. Uh, various uh, and committed various offenses against Hellenistic tastes, such as crossing their legs. Uh, so again, he's just talking about what the, the quote kind of got internalized and attributed to a famous ancient Greek person, because, you know, that's how quotes live on is through misattribution. Uh, why are we talking about this, this quote that gets bandied about? Well, because I think the, the class is going to be uh, the kids are all right. Question mark? mark. Yeah, of course. Uh, Generational cohorts and their invention. Uh, So we'll be talking about generational conflict, uh, this incessant need we have uh, throughout human history, uh, once one generation reaches a certain age, uh, to start uh, bad-mouthing the people younger than them and uh, probably ignoring the people older than them. Um, I think uh, Dustin as a younger Xer uh, and Arthur and I as uh, older millennials, we're, we're, you know, we're officially not relevant in the culture. I'm very excited about it, frankly. Uh, but I, I think it is extremely interesting that we can't, as a species, seem to break loose of this this thing we've got, right? Uh, because uh, the, the current online discourse is uh, how zoomers and millennials are supposed to be mad at each other about how uh, i guess we have bad genes or something i don't know it's not important um yeah i know i well look who cares uh the point is though it is it is a thing we we seem hell bound and determined to do to each other uh and i think this movie when it is interesting it, it gets at that right it gets at this idea that there is some inherent uh, fear of destruction from the younger generation, uh, and likewise, there is a pull towards destruction felt by the younger generation. They must burn down the thing that is uh, uh, propping them up because page they, and Doctor Freud. Page and Doctor Freud. Page and Kylo Ren. You know, whoever. Mm-hmm. You know, page anybody. Uh, we got. We need to get everybody down to the OR right now. Uh, so some of the films we might talk about: the Bad Seed, of course. Um, And, uh, you know, we need to talk about Kevin. So we'll we'll talk about some films where there is an explicitly, like, murderous minor Mm -hmm. um, and and kind of deal with unpacking both the the fact and the fiction of murderous children. Because, obviously, kids be doing murders just like anybody else. uh, And we got to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very real concern, especially in the... uh, early 21st century happens a lot more than it should uh but we'll also look at things like assassination nation uh and rebel without a cause and breakfast club uh you know bend it like beckham these these uh tensions between um the, the youth and the older that are uh generally uh being done by the older generation right there there is this assumption on the older generation's part that it's the uh the younger generation causing this turmoil when Clearly, it is them being too stuck in their ways. And I, I think all of those films, in one way or another, kind of come at that question in an interesting way. Uh, I think we might also look at uh, the Noah Bombach movie, uh, While We're Young, which uh, I think people have... Uh, there's interesting discourse around that movie, both pro and con. But, uh, you know, about 10 years out, it feels w- way too late, obviously, to be talking about the Gen X millennial divide. But I think, uh, you know, I haven't actually seen the movie, but uh, I've always been interested in the discourse around it because people have been talking about it for a while now. Um, but you know, outside of these, the media representation, we'll, we'll look at some of the development of generational cohorts. We'll look at the, the social science of these things. Uh, spoiler alert, it's bad. It's, it's just, it's pop sociology. It means nothing. It's, it's total bullshit. Uh, I, I hate to break it to you. Uh, but we've been just started making it up after world war II. We just decided we needed to put every, uh, uh, you know, past generation of people into a little box of 15 to 20 years and say that defines their life experience, which, of course, it doesn't. Uh, human beings are far more complicated than that. Uh, all you can really tell about a group is maybe some demographic information, right? And you can talk about the their historical moment. Uh, that's, that's really all a generational cohort can give you. Uh, so maybe we can look at, you know, how this gets created, why it gets created, um, is there some, you know, compelling social psychological need, uh, to be able to categorize each other according to experience and wisdom, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I think that's the class, and I think maybe here in a second, when we, uh, get down to business, we can talk a little bit more about what Children of the Corn has to say about those issues.
2: Sounds great. I'm excited to do just that. Thank you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. So what I would do with my syllabus is, I I don't know what class it would go into. I I, I was thinking a lot about... The gothic is what I want to touch on here, and a particular version of the gothic, and that is the fear of wilderness and uh, of the rural, and as this movie definitely has a lot of that sort of urbanite versus the country kind of stuff going on with it. And uh, in my version of American Lit One that I teach uh, now, uh, we focus on gothic literature uh, for that, and this would be kind of part of a class like that, but something more in the, in the, in the realm of American studies.
1: Yeah, you're trying to get some deliverance uh,
2: in there? Well, I mean, no, deliverance is not what I would use, because I, I'm really thinking about the supernatural bit for this gotcha, module. Gotcha, um, That I think in a, the expanded version of the course, absolutely. Uh, something like deliverance would definitely play into it. But I was thinking about how the wilderness in the ancient, or not the ancient, the uh, sort of early colon, colonial mind... Is uh, the place uh, that is haunted by you know witches, uh, which are those who've gone wrong, gone bad within the community, and of course by Native Americans and uh, their various hoodoos and uh, how those are, are frightening places. And so, but there's been an evolution where corn itself becomes one of those places in which those things are haunted—your jeepers creepers, or signs, mm-hmm. or you know any any version of that sort of uh, aesthetic. And I read uh, sort of a Reddit thread meme um, on Facebook years ago about how, you know, the Native American sort of uh, fear became in Western uh, or in the American mind became a a place of guilt that we had desecrated some part of their culture. We'd failed to acknowledge that that erasure and we are being punished uh, for our sins is is sort of how that supernatural Wendigo or whatever Mm. uh, that we engage. Yeah,
1: corn didn't become edible on its own, you know. Right,
2: um, but we'd find that. But when it became more and more uh, modernized and contemporized and uh, became monocultures, that the, the the fields are not natural in any way because that's not how nature works. And it became uh, an instrument of colonialization, and it became our own, what we've sown into the land has also made us sick. And so uh, part of that, you know, in the Children of the Corn, is um, uh, the, these worst versions of American Protestantism that uh, is, is part of what's poisoning uh, this community. Mm-hmm. And it comes out of the corn, out of our monoculture, um, you know, rape and, uh, I guess, uh, domination of the land, subjugation domination yeah. of the land uh, for our own agricultural economic purposes.
1: Which requires, a you know, the narrative that, uh, that there is an untamed and unsettled land, right? Which, of mm-hmm. course, is... Very far from the truth when, uh, you know, there's all this uh, great evidence of uh, early, you know, botany, basically, before Europeans get here. Right. Um, So what I would do then is look at some of those
2: investigations of those various sort of perspectives on wilderness. And I think in Night Shyamalan's village is an an interesting sort of uh, proto-quasi-colonial um, kind of view, though That movie is more complicated than just that uh, And uh, what's going on with it And the way in which those woods are haunted David Edgar's the Vividch Yeah, great Which I think is another examination Of the same kind of ideas And then going on into Jeepers Creepers, Signs And Children of the Corn And looking at that monoculture Again, sort of Post-colonization uh, haunting of the land and just to, just to watch that with a handful of students and talk about those various issues as they um voice themselves in different ways
1: obligatory reminder that you should steal jeepers creepers uh because the director is a real creeper mm, there you go uh so yeah <laughs> arthur just gave me a really knowing look <laughs> uh Something else. I, you, you deserve to see Arthur's Beautiful Eyes, listeners. is what I'm saying.
2: That, absolutely. At all times. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. Let's get down to business. And that business is, as always, analysis. You began to punt a football through the goalpost, Dalton. Pick it back up, and let's uh, talk more
1: about that. Which one? The generational yeah. Uh, divide? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we talked about this... Well, we talk about it all the time, honestly. I think uh, I recall us really getting into it once upon a time. We talked Wrath of Khan. Uh, We talked about some uh, Gen X Boomer Divide stuff there. Um, But this is is a topic that comes up on the show a lot because, well, our stories cover this a lot. Uh, It's one of the oldest stories, right? I mean, uh, especially if we're talking about the so-called Western canon, we can look at the uh, stories of the Greek gods that uh, just assume this fraughtness in the, the paternal, uh, or not the paternal, the parent-child relationship, although because of its uh, tendency towards uh, deutery. Um, yeah, you could say just the parent or the the paternal relationship. Patriarchy the patriarchal relationship. Yeah, I mean, that's look, it's uh, the whole of the ancient world, right? Uh, that was kind of their jam. And I think that being their jam kind of uh, informs a lot of, uh, th- that assumption in, in you know Western thought uh, of uh, the parent-child relationship being an adversarial one, right? This uh, th- this dumb shit that I just so happen to father it has come to steal all the stuff that I built for myself uh, is really a uh, a loud theme <laughs> throughout a lot of the Greek tragedies, um, and I think it goes on to inform uh, you know our, our storytelling. I don't know why I said storytelling like that, but uh, our our storytelling tradition, um, you know, because all of our stories grow out of uh, you know the early you know Hellenistic society, which of course you know led to uh, uh, the culture of Rome, which you know led to the the rest of European history in some ways. Uh, You know, I think all of these things stack on top of each other uh, to just keep kicking the can down the road of which generation's fault is it that everything sucks, Uh, and I, I think you know. I don't know that Children of the Corn really offers us anything uh, in a way of a remedy to that. I I think it acknowledges that that narrative is a little broken, though. Um, And good for Children of the Corn, uh, because there's not a lot that this movie does well. But I think that is one of the things that it gets at, is uh, this narrative of uh, one group supplanting another is not necessarily something that has to continue. Um, I don't know. The film doesn't really get anywhere with that, though, other than, you know, this sort of... What is his name? John...
0: Who Bert? Judd,
1: Bert? That's his name. Who Bert. Bert. The, the main guy? Yeah, yeah. Bert. He's such a forgettable name. Right. Well, he's such a forgettable character. He truly is. And we can talk more about this line when we inevitably get to talking about you know the exploration of religion in this movie. But Bert's little soliloquy or whatever about uh, um, you know true religion being uh, uh, something that has to have love and compassion. Without that, it's a it's a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something, right? And I, I think that that kind of speaks to. Uh, that tradition uh, of stories that say, no, uh, God's trying to kill you, and God is your dad, and your dad's trying to kill you. You better kill him first. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's super useful for anybody, honestly. Um, and uh, it's it's good to interrogate that and, and see where that that fails to, to really provide us anything to think about productively.
2: Right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you could think about—I mean, what is that crazy— Luke Perry, uh, TV series where all the kids or all the adolescents, pre-adolescents, don't die of a disease, and everybody else that's an adult just dies and gets wiped as a television series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Luke, Perry? Luke Perry's in it, and uh, he, it's based like, on a um, novel. Malcolm Jamal Warner, I think.
1: It was on Fox, right? When, when would it have been? This is like two years ago, I think,
0: is oh, when it like, premieres. Oh, Luke passed away. No, nineties. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is something else. Then yeah, you're this. thinking of a different thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. Than I thought you were thinking of. I don't know. We're going to find uh, it real fast. Though. R.A.P. to Luke, though.
0: Night Vision? No. No. Uh, Oz? No. What's no. The prison one? Jeremiah? Jeremiah. That's it. Wow.
1: Way to recall something.
0: Uh, yeah, Malcolm uh, that- Jamal Warner. <laughs> nice. It was wow, a Showtime yeah. series.
1: Oh, good pulls, Dustin. Uh, Nobody saw Jeremiah on Showtime, so remind us what it's about a little bit.
2: Well, I mean, I don't remember much of it, but what I do recall is that uh, for some reason there is some disease that ravages uh, all the the world, Mm. and if you have not yet gone through puberty, you're immune.
1: Gotcha. Your classic YA novel setup. Yeah,
2: yeah. And so it is... Again, Lore of the Flies, but on a global scale, gotcha. uh, in mm. some sense, and uh, you know those those stories do tend to be like wrecking with that and how you know our parents broke the world and they made the disease. I think it's it's, it's their fault sure. that it's there, sure. you know, and so there's sort of an ecological disaster, kind of a climate change thing. Uh, that's working at it, and its thematics there, and it, but it is this idea that uh, you gave me this terrible, terrible world, and uh, now it, we have to deal with it, and so that that sort of angst and anger uh, does uh, find its voice in various uh,
1: media. Yeah, it's uh, one of the reasons I pulled Assassination Nation because mm-hmm. of, you know for that film's shortcomings and the the, the continued weirdness of uh, Levy's career, um, I think that film does a good job of of interrogating that right of. Mm. The the structures that tend to uh bully uh the younger generation for uh you know lack of a more sophisticated way to put it.
2: Right. And I mean Westerns have been doing this for a long time. And there's always that sort of old man and old man strength and old man wisdom and canniness that's gonna really get you by and I'll show you young kid what you're supposed to do. Um I I was thinking a little bit as you were talking though about the weird way in which uh Children of Men provides a different kind of dialogue Mm. and the sort of uh, uh, again, in in the same kind of way, some sort of disease has racked the planet, and now there are no more children, mm. and uh, the grief that that provides. And that's an interesting counterpoint, because although there is this sort of tension where uh, you see, again, John Wayne is always superior to some you know, snot-nosed kid in a Western, or our parents wrecked everything in the case of, say, a Jeremiah, um, that Children of Men uh, provides a way in which our our children are the future. Uh, which is again cliche to say, but um, there, there's something really, really mournful uh, about its tone uh, in both the novel and in the um, in the film version by uh, Aldemivar. Aldemivar, yeah, Almodovar.
1: No, no, it's Koran. Um, Koran, yeah. yeah. I was
2: like yeah, one, one of the three amigos. Um, yeah. I got the wrong one. Sorry, um, but that. I I think that's an interesting sort of interplay of there are other possibilities. And then, of course, the reestablishment of a nuclear family, like you were saying with Jurassic Park, Mm -hmm. um, and Zizek's sort of uh, preoccupation with uh, Spielberg's uh, obscene fathers who finally kind of get it together by the end of a film. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I don't know if there's anything more to say about that other than there are these sort of weird tensions that are there. But I don't really see a lot of uh, mourning of... The missing parents. Every time they're gone, it's good thing. And, you know, yes, the world's a disaster. They didn't show us some things that we needed to be shown, but also they made this mess. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't see it going the other direction very often in cinema. And that's probably
1: because, you know, adults make it. Well, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, it's probably because all of these narratives about children are written by adults trying to remember what it was like to be a child, which is, you know, something very, very difficult the further you get out from it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm saying we should have a, you know, a room full of 14 year olds uh, at typewriters trying to tell us what we should be talking about.
0: You never know.
1: It seems like a terrible idea. Uh, boy, does it. God, I'm picturing a room full of 14 year olds right now. And it's the scariest thing I can picture. Truly. They're terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so scary about them is they are going to kill us, you know hopefully not literally, but hopefully in a more metaphorical sense. Uh, but, you know, I, I understand both Stephen King, uh, probably, because, you know, his kids are, what, they're born in the 80s, right? His kids definitely... I'm pretty sure his kids are not born uh, when he's writing this. If they are, they're young. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I can see why he wants to write a story like this whenever he does. Uh, I can see why, you know, somebody thought this would be an interesting date night movie in 1983 when they were probably sell, trying to sell the thing. Uh, it's bad, though. And I, I think that badness is... We are putting more to the film's themes right now than the uh, the film really. But again, I have, didn't uh, get to catch up the short story, uh, but I can only assume it has a little bit more going on than the movie, right? Does it, Arthur? About at the very least, like it just is it kind of a, a senseless murder of the parents with no real reason.
0: I don't think it really actually even gets into the murder of the parents. Interesting. I think the more interesting approach it does here. Um, and I, I, it's been a couple of days since I read it, but you know, I don't, that's not really a big point in the, the book. Um, the only thing really alluded to it is that idea of the being thing killed the on their 19th them. birthday. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that sacrificial thing. That's a big point here. Okay. Uh, it's really interesting because all these kids have given names, but they're changed. They, they, they take it upon themselves to change them into a more biblical name. Interesting. So there's like Richard William George and they become Amos, Isaac and Zephaniah. Gotcha. Okay. Which, you know, it, it kind of gets into that. Um which kind of to a really fun interesting. Texture. Yeah. Uh it, it kind of gives it a really fun little thing here. But um yeah, the the, the really doesn't get into that. Um it, it really kind of leaves things vague about what's going on in the town and what happened there. Um, there does to be seem to be an illusion that there is something behind the corn and there is some sort of psychic malevolent force there. Um, but we don't see anything as as visually compelling as what's on the screen hmm. uh, in the, in the movie.
2: Yeah, I almost prefer it to be some uh, thing that you know brings about a mania and, and that we're sort of exploring that it, it is the thing that's there already, but it manifests um, what already it has to work with gate right which is you
1: know again classic king stuff right i mean that's kind of the whole deal with pennywise and it mm-hmm. isn't it um i do think it's interesting to i mean it's very uh, much hollywood movie stuff to uh create an external force uh, that is the source of evil that you can throw a molotov cocktail at um I love that they're calling it gas a Yeah, right. Well, I mean,
2: that, that is a <laughs> yeah. word that was being used It's just funny to think commonly about. Then, uh, yeah. yeah,
1: ethanol gasoline wasn't, uh, you know, everywhere. So it's, it's its own cute little name. Yeah, it's corn liquor gas.
0: This does put the, the creature into the clearing, actually. Oh, it does? Yeah, let me. I'll read you this real quick. Oh, please. Uh, so he has, he has stumbled upon... Okay, hang on. Uh, okay, so this is him stumbling into the scene to find Vicky. Okay. Vicky, he whispered, oh, Vicky, my God. She had been mounted on a crossbar like a hideous trophy. Her arms held at the wrist and her legs at the ankles with twists of barbed wire. Yikes. Her eyes had been ripped out. The sockets were filled Ugh. with the moon flax of corn silk. Her jaws were wrenched open in a silent scream. Her mouth filled with corn husks. It jumps down a little bit. Uh, he finds this. He's the police chief. And- oh, the man in blue. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says, that was when Bert heard it coming. Not the children, but something much larger, moving through the corn and toward the clearing. Not the children, no. The children wouldn't venture into the corn at night. This was the holy place, the place of he who walks behind the rows. Jerkily, Bert turned to flee. The row he had cindered the clearing by was gone, closed up. All the rows had closed up. It was coming closer now, and he could hear it pushing through the corn. He could hear it breathing. An ecstasy of superstitious terror seized him. It was coming. The corn on the far side of the clearing had suddenly darkened as if a gigantic shadow had blotted it out. Coming. He who walks behind the rose. It began to come into the clearing. Bert saw something huge bulking up to the sky. Something green with terrible red eyes the size of footballs. Something that smelled like dried corn husk years in some dark born. He began to scream, but he did not scream long. Sometime later, a bloated orange harvest moon came up.
1: Goodness gracious. That's a fun ending. Yeah. Gosh, that's lovely.
2: Yeah. And that's that's spooky as hell.
1: That's a better movie, um, also. But uh, yoinks. um, Yoinks and Gadzooks. um, You know, it's hard to resist the pull of uh, an eldritch uh, being. mm -hmm. You know? Absolutely. How can you not uh, cut on your your chest and give the blood to everyone and then, you know, be murdered for your birthday? Right? Happy birthday.
0: So I was going to see. So this came out in 77 in Penthouse, is when it was originally published. And then he collected right. his. Great. <laughs> right. the, se- the 70s, man. I mean, that was, I mean, that's how he made his money, though. He was sending stories to Playboy and Penthouse and all those others to get these things published and God. make a check. Uh, it gets collected in Night Shift in 78. Okay. Joe Hill was born in 72. Okay. So he's got a little six year old run around. And then Owen was born in 77. Ah, so he had one of the way There you go. And, and one had already came and Makes I don't perfect know, sense. Okay. He is that third kid, I think, but I don't know. Naomi. I don't know when she was born. Joe's so obviously, I think, the eldest. You're
1: the only parent at the table, um, correct? You know, a, a parent to ch- children without lots of fur and you know, l- lacking opposable thumbs. Uh, what, what? I don't know. Are you worried about the kids murdering you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. I mean,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah. Of course, I am. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there. Definitely is this sort of bowing up kind of thing that happens. You know, especially when you're a father of boys. Yeah. You oh know, yeah you know so that's trying play. to fight
1: your dad's rite of passage right i guess so. and it's a rite of passage for your dad to not lay hands on you i guess it, it, or well anyway uh <laughs> sometimes it goes sideways yeah uh, no i've heard stories yeah i've I've got a couple of dads and i've I heard a couple of fight stories
2: yeah um and i i do think it is you know you know young bucks trying out the old bull kind of thing i mean that that that's part of it i think and just you know i i've I finally have some size and some strength of my own and I want to I want to test it and I want to test it against the strongest thing I know, which is, you know, that... Force of nature, which is father, right? Sure. And it is um, something you know, oddly Freudian uh, again, working in there that just sort of not not you know in the edipal sense of you know I want to bang my mom. No, but, but in the
1: yeah, I gotcha, the, the sort of the cultural subplantation sense.
2: Right. Well, in the way in which you know dad has been, uh, or you know the name of the father, the nom de pair. If you're going to go Lacanian with uh, this particular psychoanalytical tag, uh, and uh, that uh, the name of the father says I have authority, you don't have authority. I'm I'm in charge you're not in charge, I have the rules, you don't have the rules, Mm -hmm. and uh, that you're getting to a place where you're like, I want to make my own rules, I want to make my own decisions. And so, in some sense, that father has to die uh, for you to feel a freedom to do that next thing, whatever it happens to be.
1: Which is interesting that we find the children of the corn, uh, Los Chicos del Mez, we find them uh, doing something of a religious deconstruction, right? Mm -hmm. They've taken their uh, uh, Christian idols... Weird how into idolatry Christianity uh, at large is. What well, with all the don't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so much don't do it <laughs> in there. Anyway, uh, it is interesting that they have now uh, taken these Jesus and Mary portraits and turned them into corn monsters. It's one of the best uh, like bits of design in the movie. Yeah, it's
2: very very interesting. They
1: look creepy as hell. Like they're all, they're awesome. Uh, again, like all of the uh, religious folk art in this movie is like what it get blowing me away i just kept thinking man this looks cool uh it's very spooky and it's one of the more effective things in the movie Mm -hmm. um is there any there there other than just the idea uh, of religious deconstruction and reconstruction i mean i don't know that
2: there is a there there because they are doing it again in reaction to this horrible thing that is you know speaking apparently to isaac and uh, clearly is speaking and eventually speaking through Isaac, which is a the creepiest moment in the whole movie. Priest Um and uh, that you know, if you find the 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 encounter with the real, I'm very Lacanian today. If you found that encounter with the real, um, and your symbolic order no longer can symbolize that, you'll take the pieces of what you've got and reconstruct it around that reel. Totally, and, and so that that does seem to be what they're doing is is just adapting it to the more of what they've encountered, uh, which is is terrifying, and it really does I I think if you did it justice creates a much more sympathetic Isaac and Malachi.
0: Yeah,
1: sure,
2: you know, um, but the movie fails to see that, you know, because um, they're just sort of pure evil, um, manipulative, you know, power hungry, all that kind of stuff, and uh, I mean those critiques I to to see. A different version of the movie in which Isaac is just, again, possessed of religious mania and his own egomania and using it to manipulate and control others. Mm. That critique of religion is is powerful and sure. and good, but because it is so diffuse, it, it sort of fails, in my mind. Yeah. So the, I, I think there is less of a there there because it, of that.
1: Yeah, we do get something interesting, I think, with uh Malachi trying to usurp Isaac, which is just kind of like classic cult dynamics. You've mm-hmm. got the guy and you've got the muscle. Uh, or the the you know the younger one, lieutenant, yeah. uh, the, the David Miskiewicz. Uh We we don't live anywhere near a Scientology center. They're not going to you know chase us. We live in Oklahoma. They're you know they're we're fine. Um, yeah, that's psycho. Uh, he knew to be in line behind LRH and make sure uh, to take over as soon as there was a chance to take over. And that is, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in this cult marathon. That's how new religious movements carry on. That's how they go from being a cult to being a religion.
0: A foundational, yeah.
1: That's all you gotta do, is just have a guy behind the guy. Um, yeah. And th-
0: boom. To carry on the... Yeah, yeah. you mm-hmm. got the
1: thing. Uh, but it is interesting how so often, especially in, you know, cults that end in violence, um, or are working their way up to a moment, uh, an explosion of violence, There, there is almost always a, a figure within that pushing it right saying that somebody that kind of gets that there's a game going on mm-hmm. and they know that they can usurp no 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 you don't have the voice of he who walks behind the rose i've got the voice of, of he who walks behind the rose and again because we have a, an actual malevolent force we don't need to do anything with that but I, I found that moment where isaac and malachi are kind of arguing about what to do uh with bert and uh um, oh my god linda hamilton vicky, vicky. vicky. god they just the most boring generic short names mm-hmm. Burton when they're trying to decide what to do with Burton Vicky, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know that there's a there there, but I I think at the very least, especially 1984, we're not really talking about this. You know, we've, we've got a whole lot of cult uh, drama coming up uh, at, the, at the end of the 20th century, uh, but we're not quite there yet. So I think it's interesting. The film sees that right. and plays around with it a little bit.
0: I was just kind of wondering, my familiarity isn't really there quite as much as yours. I think Dalton, but, um, uh, obviously, I think this movie is, is one in a long line of, you know, this was kind of peak Stephen King where mm. everything he was doing was being optioned. Mm. Uh, but I was kind of wondering about this in light of the satanic panic and that kind of social fear of the children. So I didn't know if there was anything there wow. or yeah, where it would point. land. Yeah, yeah.
2: That they're, they're finding Dungeons and Dragons, and therefore they're getting motivated. Like when, again,
1: I just
0: didn't know when those timelines would have.
1: No, this is peak. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not quite there there. I mean, because, you know, I think West Memphis 3 Right is probably the that's the, like ninety three, right? Yeah, but and, and okay. then the the McMartin preschool stuff that's like eighty five. I wish I knew off the top of my head. When but did
2: Sean Sellers kill his parents? The Oklahoma um, don't know D and D kid.
1: One. Oh, I don't know about that mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's just a, it's
2: just a double murder. I mean, yeah. so I mean, it's obviously that's horrible and awful. But yeah, I get he, why you backpedaled on that. <laughs> you know, he's he's motivated by uh, his. Um,
0: you have the date. Looks like seventies. Okay. Oh wait, wait. On March 5th, 1986, Sellers killed his mother and stepfather. Yikes. Mm. So just
1: after this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: But yeah, I mean, you know, we got the mid-90s again kind of being, I feel like that's a moment that's like the last gasp of this stuff, Mm -hmm. right? But I think, yeah, early 80s, we're we're just getting moving forward with all the Michelle Remembers or whatever the name of that book is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the repressed memories of, Mm. you know, we're planting the seeds for QAnon, baby. It's all going to come around. Don't worry. (laughs) The corn will rise. Right. Uh, QAnon
2: yeah. is the boomers' fault, yes.
1: Uh, you know, you keep hard to blame. Look, there's a millennial <laughs> behind that at the end of the day, right? Well, of course What's, there uh, is. Whatever that guy's name is. I, who bothered? Uh, who's going to bother to remember? I right. I wish I – yeah, I watched part of the documentary. I can't remember his name. I but we care. do
2: – we create these, again, sort of mythologies, yeah. um, and what they do is they grow legs and they keep on going. I mean, there's a, there's a thing that uh, Neil Gaiman talks about, interpreting, interpretation of his stories mm-hmm. and how um, they're like little children, and once you've got them raised and sent them out <laughs> in the world, they do what they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, these sort of cultural stories of the satanic panic, these cultural stories of, you know, uh, parents want to kill their children oh. like a rebel without a cause
1: – I'm just, I'm sorry, it's Dune O'Clock. Yeah. Uh, Dune Messiah. Um, I'm Ah. deep into Dune Messiah now. It's it's all about how the thing, whatever you want it to do, even if you have nefarious goals, it's gonna get away from you. Mm -hmm. Even even if your goals are already bad, they'll get worse. (laughs) Uh, Because you can't, yeah, you can't control a thing once you put it out into the world. It it will take on a life of its own. Um, And I think, you know, talking about the satanic panic and uh, conspiracy theory thought, like it all goes back to that, uh, uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is like the granddaddy of all conspir- conspiratorial anti-Semitic thought. Like, all of this shit goes all the way back to that, which has been around for like 150 years at this point. A mm-hmm. long time. I don't, never bothered to internalize that date. But uh, it's funny you meant, went to Gaiman, because there are so many different places that you can find... Uh, well, I don't even know what to call it. I was going to say trope, but it, it's not really a trope if it's a thing that happens in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just is... A fact of history, I guess. Right. A fact of human group behavior.
2: Well, I'm I'm thinking about uh Nicholas Kazanzakis' Last Temptation of Christ and Scorsese's mm-hmm. adaptation of it. One of the things that are among the uh the temptations of Christ not to go through with the crucifixion and the establishing of this religion is that um people are going to do some very, very bad things in your name. Um it doesn't mean and I and I think Bert actually hits on that with that again sort of trite uh, speech is that you, you you might lose the plot uh, because you've got yourself so caught up in some of these weirdo details, mm-hmm. and that if it doesn't have love and compassion, then it's not true. But that's what you mis- you get misguided on, and then you get it twisted. That's that is what happens with all the stories. That's yeah. what happens with all the sort of meta narratives. And uh, you know, uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard says, you know, uh, postmoderns are skeptical of meta narratives, and that's not really the case. It's just that we've pluralized our meta narratives. That everyone seems to still continue in a med- meta narrative, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, make an adjective of meta narrative. <laughs> we 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 do that in that fashion, and yet um, they still, you know, though they may have some good, you know, kernel of basis there, they always seem to get twisted in the hands of humanity.
1: That is a difficult thing with. Uh doing anything as a group, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's, uh, oh gosh, I was trying to remember, there's a, it's not important what it comes from, but uh, the, the long and the short of it is, uh, not everybody has the same idea about what's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that does unfortunately tend to cause some problems, especially if you've got two opposing groups working from the same meta-narrative. Right. She can get hairy pretty quick.
2: Right, and we all are swirling cauldrons of id. And, oh yeah, and, they- and, and, and the And finding ways to use this for those baser needs, whatever they happen to be.
1: Well, uh, I think we're, we're going to have lots of time to explore more of that in the coming weeks, I, I imagine. Probably so. Do we have anything children of the corn specific we want to go out on? Um, you know, uh, don't uh, adopt lightly, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, don't go to creepy old towns if somebody tells you they got religion and they don't cotton to outsiders. Stay clear. Mm-hmm. Listen to The Harbinger.
0: If the streets are empty, keep driving. Uh huh. Good call. Good call. Um, um
1: any other small town uh, tips? Get away. Get away. <laughs> just just get out. Get yep. out now. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well,
2: let's render a verdict then on <laughs> Children of the Corn. What do we say? Shell for trash, Dalton. Go. No,
1: nah, that's not important. No. Moving hey, Get on. it out of here.
2: Thank you. What do you say, Arthur?
0: Yeah, it's just throw it in the compactor. Yeah,
2: for sure. Um, definitely. Um, if you're a king completist, I guess, but, nah, but don't own it. Just watch it because um, you'll really not care to come back. So, uh, there you go.
1: It's weird that this one's got a, a soft spot for some folks, though.
0: Yeah, it was number seven on Rolling Stone's top Stephen King movies, top 30 Stephen King movies, which is a weird flex, but okay. I think this is one that people More power to you, I guess.
1: saw
2: as children and Maybe a really nostalgia. And, that and, has to be it. And it's sort of, you know, well, I mean, the, and some of the imagery is arresting. I mean, those, those corn yeah. crucifixes
0: are a thing. That folklore core element's really got, yeah. some, got some potential to it. Yeah, if I'd like, seen
2: this
1: movie as a kid, I think I could see it getting lodged in there pretty with deep. You. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on Children of the Corn. If you have any thoughts that you'd like to give to us, Dalton will tell you how to do it.
1: I'm gonna do that right now. You can uh, send your long-form thoughts to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com That's where uh, you can send those. We're not always the best about keeping an eye on it, but, you know, if you got a long thing to say, let us know. Um, don't go to Facebook, ever. Um, if you feel you must go to Twitter, we're at Good Trash Media. Uh, you can find links to all the episodes of this show, uh, putting those out as they come out, and uh, links to other fun shows, like uh, The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade. Just had Connor Ratliff on. Great episode. Uh, and then you can and check out the praise down with heath and alex um speaking of religious uh deconstruction and reconstruction uh that's kind of what the the show's deal is but uh their most recent guest uh lindy Mackey, who i called lindy mack last week my bad lindy sorry about that i hadn't actually heard your last name said aloud uh they did a two-parter with her uh they covered so much ground on uh you know uh, being an ex-evangelical, uh, finding a way to deconstruct uh, your your faith upbringing, and and looking at when do you start to do a reconstruction there, uh, how far can you get into it before you decide to you know take a couple steps back and deconstruct? Like the first uh, half of this two part episode is really great. I think you should check it out. The second half they really get deep into. Uh, uh, DC talks well, the early '90s one. I think the one from like '94. It's not the one with Jesus freak. It's the one before that. Oh, um, some of
2: that purity culture stuff. In. Oh yeah, yeah. they yeah. get into
1: all. Of, well, yeah. it's just like kind of the weird and, and the weird racism of uh, evangelists. Just two veil. hunks and
2: a negro. Right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. did
1: not know about that yeah. track. Yeah, they listen yeah. to that one. It's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's the praise down with Heath and Alex. If this bother me that I don't know. If you want problem. more, uh, free at last. Free at last. Free at last. Yeah, that's yeah, the one that's that's they talk it. about. Thank yeah. you, Arthur. Oh, God. I think ada- I have, a the, the, of it audacity, have it CD, the audacity. The yeah. audacity of using an MLK sample. Wow. Anyway, there's a lot of gross stuff on that record, and I think, uh, I don't know, if you grew up uh, in the evangelical tradition, I think you'll get something out of this pair of episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, if you haven't checked the Praise Down before, great ones to jump in on. Uh, that's at uh, the Praise Down on Twitter, and again, we're at Good Trash Media. All the links to the show is already mentioned. You can find them there. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, the pinned tweet at the Praise Down. If uh, you like it so much, you want to hang out with uh, me or anybody else, uh, you yeah. know, Join the Discord server. It's fun. Uh, I didn't watch Children of the Corn in there. I wasn't going to subject anybody to this. Uh, Thanks. But it's a cool place to hang out. Uh, I'm trying to convince Dustin to get on there. Uh, Heath and I were conspiring to make you. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, we were conspiring to, to force you to get in there. It's just a question of getting around and doing well, it. Well, you know how the, the, the plan is, right? They, they got a subscription to PureFlix. <gasps> yeah, they're going to do some Pure Flix watches.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Gnarly. I had a feeling that'd be the one to get you in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's all social media that's fit to print, I guess. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hold off on the Patreon for this week. We're not making anything right now, uh, Arthur. Um, now that I'm done with that bullshit, what what uh, what have you got cooking for us in this marathon of yours?
0: Well, next week, having now met the children, mm-hmm. we hope uh, that you continue to enjoy our welcome to the family marathon. And next week, we invite you to commune with us as we celebrate the summer season and discuss midsummer. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah, I
1: had a feeling we were going to get to this I one. midsummer has got to happen, yeah. Wow, yeah. Um, is, the, is the director's cut even out there? Was it just uh, the a theatrical thing? You okay. have to
0: watch it on Apple. I think you can buy it on Apple. But
2: mm-hmm. it's still uh, regular, free on Prime if yep. you've got Prime, yep.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think I might go watch that director's cut, though. Well, uh, I guess we'll have to talk about that next week.
2: So there you go, dear Lister. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.